Hey, welcome to Stirring Faith with Cherry Strange. Thank you for joining me today. Stirring Faith aims to lead women to desire more of God in their everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Strange. Maybe I should say welcome back to the podcast because it's been a while since you and I have been together on this wavelength. We did not simply take a break for the holidays. We took an extended hiatus across most of the fall. I'd like to say it was premeditated, structured, anticipated, and orchestrated, but it it was largely, I'm just going to say it was largely my mother's doing. She's probably listening to me right now. Around the time everyone settled in at home for the school year, I had to move my office once again sort of out of my area down into the midst of the family. Well, my mother turned up having a tumor that we believed to be cancer, so I went up to her place for just a little while, and when I got home, my house was scheduled to undergo a major remodel, which meant this room had to go out, everything in it had to go down to another room with all that stuff had to go out of that room, and we had to do lots of moving around, and I ended up cooking in the laundry room for 10 people for... (laughs) about two months and so that was quite a stretch for me they ended up moving pipes and rerouting wires and moving walls and then moving them again there was no physical space or sound free area to generate or conduct a podcast then we entered the holiday season it was still going on in fact the work was just completed last week i cannot say it was my mom's fault truly but that event with her unexpected health issue was sort of the tipping point. I thought I could do X while Y was happening. But then when Z got thrown in the mix on top of the pandemic, I just had to cry uncle. That was just it. And these unexpected happenings also gave me the opportunity to do some investigating about the podcast and about other ministry type things and things in my life. It's a good time to do some introspection. And in general, how I want to move forward from here on out to avoid a sudden breakdown like this to happen in the future. The nature of the Stirring Faith podcast is heavily driven by content. You don't come here for laughs or for interviews or to listen in on a conversation between myself and another person generally, like a fly on the wall. Largely, you come for content. You come for insights. You come for encouragement, for something that might take you from strength to strength, we might say, in your faith journey. That type of programming does not develop and half an hour over breakfast takes hours. And I personally do all the editing, all of the intros, the exits, the ads, the uploads to the hosting, the show notes, the social media, all things podcast on the web. Honestly, it's not the medium that has the largest audience or the farthest reach in terms of ministry. I simply love it. It's personal. My roots run deep in live radio. I understand you to be a real person and I'm talking to you today that may be more important to both of us than ever before therefore it is on my ministry table and I want to keep it there here's what you can expect from the stirring faith podcast as of the beginning of 2021 season four that's what we're starting this is our fourth year doing the podcast we're going to do it a little bit differently we're going to divide the broadcast into seasons that are a little bit shorter than whole years. Approximately 15 to 18 weeks will be a season broken up depending on the calendar. We're going to start in February and run through May. That plan is to break during the summer and pick up again in the in September with season five 
and run through the second week of December. Each season will be divided up into themes that are going to run anywhere between three and eight weeks that meet felt needs, provide resources, answer questions, and inspire you to grow deeper in your walk with Jesus. And we may throw in some interviews this year. We may throw in some conversations with other people. And I don't know if those will be bonus additions or how we're going to structure that yet. But I couldn't be more excited about the coming episodes. Plus, there's going to be free resources for you to download, which I'm going to tell you about at the end of the broadcast. There's already some being uploaded tonight. The first idea or theme we're going to dig into in the next four weeks is about desiring God, stirring a desire for God into everyday life. That is our motto here and the place the podcast originated. We call that desire a yearning because that's what the Bible calls it. And thus the umbrella organization I operate out of is called She Yearns. She Yearns Ministry was born out of that concept. But those are easy words to say and not always believable. I get some interesting looks about the ministry name. And more than once, I've been asked by people to provide them a verse and how I came to that title. I think it's a valid question, though. Should we yearn for God? I mean, is that an appropriate response to who He is and who we are? What does it really even mean to yearn for God and set another way to long for Him? How can you tell if you do or if you don't? I mean, what's what's He even talking about when uh, it's said that so-and-so longs for God. How can we be confident that the response is, quote, normal and appropriate for a regular believer in Christ? That it's what a normal person who wants to love God more with their life should do. Today I want to offer a few examples in the Bible where we might find this kind of concept, maybe not necessarily in those words per se, but sometimes Yes, in so many words. Example number one is found in Deuteronomy 4-6. through There's going to be a lot of scripture in here because the answers are in scripture. Deuteronomy 4-6, through as you might be familiar, is near and dear to my heart because it's the greatest commandment. I wrote a Bible study on the greatest commandment. But this is familiar to our ears. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commend you today should be on your heart. All right, then if we go to the New Testament, Jesus says approximately the same thing because he's asked in Mark 12, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, ask him which commandment is the most important. Jesus answers, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. But he adds one, with all your mind and with all your strength. And that's uh, verses 29 and 30. We might miss this one in terms of thinking about yearning and about longing for God. Because although you might not immediately think of the greatest commandment eliciting a longing or a yearning for God, this commandment is looking for a response that encompasses all that we are made up of our different capacities aimed in one direction. And and God is very upfront about this. He doesn't beat around the bush. It's the first thing he desires from us. And he spends the rest of his words in the Bible giving us more than enough reasons to do so. It's a response. And that's what the whole study is about. But that we, we don't want to miss this. It is a response. And that's why I have it front and center here. Why we can not have the exact words, but the intent 
of the meaning. So that's example number one. The second example comes from psalms that we might find traditional in the sense where we would find these words. One is, is more clear. You might have heard this one. This is Psalm 42, uh, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where shall I come and appear before the Lord? Okay, so you've even got sort of the words there. And then if you go to Psalm 63, just down the road in the book, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Those are very similar. So that's not hard to see that in terms of the psalmist, that's something we should do. We should emulate that and have that sense about us as we look toward God. The third example, I'm going to move kind of quickly to the Old Testament. Fast forward a few generations. The kingdom is split. We have the king of Judah, the more faithful kingdom, the home of Jerusalem and the temple, is Asa. He's the king, and he's just been through something where he's experienced God's deliverance. But often, God is not just about the win. He has an important message for the king and for his people by way of the king, and he sends it through a prophet reminding the king of some key history that impacts the entire kingdom and that is that the king needs to trust him on this that encouraged him to do the next thing to take courage and to get busy he wasn't done with him and he had some more things for him to do so the king then king asa gathers everyone at jerusalem to sacrifice from the spoil they had taken from this victory god had just given them and he says this in 2 Chronicles 15, verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. So in this instance, they are entering this covenant, this commitment to seek the Lord with, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. And that draws out a yearning. So that's what I want you to see. The next example comes from the New Testament. I want to jump now there to the lifetime of Jesus. Think about John the Baptist who was sent ahead of Jesus to make straight the way when he comes on the scene. So when Jesus comes on the scene, John is busy ministering and doing exactly what God had called him to do. And he's preaching, he's baptizing, he's doing his thing. And Jesus shows up and John knows exactly who he is. He points to it saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. And he points people to him as the Messiah. When his own disciples come complain to him about this new guy Jesus kind of taking away their crowds and their thunder, John is not deterred at all because he understood. And what he understood was the significance of the Messiah and who he was and what that did to his heart. So in John 3.30, he says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. It's a simple one-liner testimony, but what this testimony shows us is that this man that Jesus says was the greatest man has his longing in the right place. Beyond personal gain or his rank in the sight of others, his gaze remains fixed on where his heart was aimed. I think that is really significant. But you might be saying, what about regular old me? Because we talked about kings, we talked about writers in the Psalms, which was likely David, the greatest, <laughs> John the Baptist. We've got some biggies right here. What about regular old me? It's fine for kings and cousins of Jesus, people like that. Maybe you just can't see how the same requirements would be for someone as ordinary as you, or it might be possible 
He just means you to be moved by the worship team occasionally or having a great conference experience. For you, that's all that's expected. I mean, you could honestly feel that way and think that way. But I want you to be encouraged by these words from 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain it. That's the encouragement we have from Paul. Everybody runs. Everybody is in the race. That is the encouragement that we have. The message is for everyone here. We're going to go back to Paul and go back to 1 Corinthians in a few minutes. So I'm going to leave that one there. And I want to hop over to Peter. Peter has something else that is really important. He's writing to believers and he first reminds them who they are, what the good news actually was that they received in case they were confused. Because remember, they were often confused about what message should actually come to them. And I I don't think that's very different than, than what happens to us. It just comes in a different form. He says to them, having purified your souls, and this is 1 Peter starting at verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. Love for one love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That's really important right there. For, and then he quotes, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He's putting this quote in here. And then he says, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. He's trying to convey, this is how you came to know Christ. Because we preached the good news to you and it came by the word of God. That's really key. Then he leads right into the second chapter. And these are the words that talk about the longing that I want you to know. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now Peter does a couple of important things for us. Actually does more than that. He does about three. Number one, he nullifies my belief that I get a pass on this one. I'm just like those he's writing to. And these verses apply. I'm simply a child of God that had the good news preached to me from the Word of God. That's how I received it. It's from the Word of God. They're just like me. The other point is what he doesn't tell them. When he talks about this pure spiritual milk, that he wants them to long for it, he doesn't tell those who are familiar with this taste and see illustration. You know, it comes from Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. They knew that. He doesn't then tell them, since you've tasted and you've seen, he doesn't tell them then eat and be satisfied, which I think would be a natural next step. If you've tasted it, then eat up, girl. Eat it. Eat the whole thing. Be satisfied. But he doesn't do that. Peter doesn't say that at all. Instead, he instructs them to long for spiritual milk. Long for it. Something tells me he knows the difficulty in longing. Even before the drinking, he just wants them to want it. And so that's what he calls them to. It's difficult. And then the next weeks, we're going to get to that. How do you get beyond that difficulty? Peter, he's, he's calling them to just want it, long for it. And I think that's really important. Why is he talking about the Word of God in the midst of this longing? Because that's how they came to know Jesus. That's how they would continue to grow in their relationship with Him. And and that's, that's the same for us. 
So it's the same way we need to long and it's the same place we need to long. Let's not stop there. I want to give you another example. This is example number five and it comes from Jesus. What did Jesus have to say about this longing and yearning business? Well, I want to go to Matthew 5 and just hunker down on one verse, right in the middle of what we would call the Beatitudes. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, you might be asking yourself, why would Cherry include that verse? Jesus isn't talking about yearning for God or hungering after a relationship with Him. He's talking about righteousness. Well, I'm so glad you asked because I was thinking the same thing. What does that have to do with anything? Why would Jesus encourage his followers to hunger and thirst for righteousness anyway? What exactly is he getting at? Is he simply pointing us toward a pious lifestyle? Trying to help those of us who are pleasers stay on the straight and narrow? Or is there something more to this call to hunger and thirst for righteousness than we might see at first glance? It sounds, honestly, it sounds super spiritual and unattainable when you look at it just from the outset. So now I want to go back to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We're going to visit these books that Paul has written as we touched on before. He's going to give us a little more insight into this idea. Paul actually brings it down and he begins by reminding his readers the message he preached to them. Simply, I just preached Christ crucified to you. That's that's all I did. It was offensive to the Jews. It's sort of ludicrous to the Gentiles, but to those who are called to Jews or Gentiles or whatever you are, he says Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he asks them to think of themselves, compare themselves to those who would normally receive wisdom and who would normally be somebody's getting ahead. They were not those kind of people. They were just regular, ordinary, unimportant, nominal individuals. And they now have been given life in Christ. He says, what do you think about that? I mean, that's amazing that God would choose to do it that way. So now he comes in verse 30 of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians and says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus became righteousness to us and he did it through the cross. If you jump over to 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says it this way, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that transition? At first, Jesus is the righteousness, and then because of what he does for us, we become the righteousness. In this one verse, two things happen. Jesus, who is our righteousness, takes on sin so that we can take on what we could not possess. Not ever. Not by any uh, stretch of the imagination. It's a miracle. By imputing this righteousness on us, which is what he does, he doesn't lose his own. He can do that himself. What if Jesus is not simply calling us to right living in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What if he's not just calling us to right living, but to hunger and thirst for more of himself, because he is the only thing that can satisfy. So I want to lay all that on you and have you mull that over and think about the question. Should you? 
Should you desire more of God or possess a longing for Jesus, a yearning, should there be an ever-present yearning for more of Him until your dying breath? And then I'm going to let Paul answer it. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's testimony to the Philippian church. What a hunger, what a thirst, what a race to run. With all my heart I have sought you, inquiring for and of you and yearning for you. Do not let me wander from your commands, neither through ignorance or by willful disobedience. That's Psalm 119.10. That is the verse where the inspiration for she yearns originated. That is where the soul of the mission remains. We pray that you yearn. We pray that you yearn more and more until you finish your last breath here. May God grant me the privilege of being a part of stirring you on toward that more and more as you go. That would be the greatest gift. Now, before we finish for the day, let me tell you about the new resources that accompany this particular theme. As you can tell, I'm super excited about these. You're going to be able to find these on the website. There's going to be a pop-up and a blog and probably a sidebar. We don't want you to miss it. I'm probably going to do some social media about it. Inviting you to download the She Earns Reading Plan. It's not a reading plan like you version. It's not one of those. This is going to be a daily plan for you to do in 30 days. Passages on your own. I'm not writing a commentary. This is between you and the Lord. You will get a 30-day reading plan. Passages I've picked out, some of which we've gone over today, but they're, they're passages we're going to read and look at over the next four weeks. Then it's just a simple schedule. You're going to get a scripture writing plan. It's going to take one of those verses in each of those passages, a focal verse. It's going to tell you which one it is, and it's going to point to that verse for you to practice writing that out. But in case you don't have anything to write it out on, I've provided some journal pages for you to print out. They're eight and a half by 11, just normal copier paper that you could print out. But it's super cute that goes along with the theme with the you know, cover and a, and a back page for you that you can keep your notes along the way. There's also a section on there for you to take extra notes if you wanted to do that. And if you've not already become a subscriber to the show notes, you want to make sure you secure that today. Those notes will go live and are generally mailed out uh, by the end of the week that episode airs. These are also to serve as a helpful resource in an outline format. I've done generally more than that in the past, but I'm just going to do an outline so that you can follow along. It's not to replace the podcast in any way. You always have that as a resource. You can always go back to that. It's going to be online. So as I close out this first episode of season four, allow me to say it is great to be with you. I know you're there and please know that I'm here. And to me, it's a dialogue, so I would appreciate it if you would treat it as that. I just thank you so much for listening and for being here. And so until next time, have a great week. I'll catch up with you next week on the Stirring Faith Podcast.
Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Stirring Faith Podcast. We plan to release a new episode once a week, and I would invite you to become a subscriber because it makes it so much easier. Please remember to rate, review, and share the podcast. You may never know the difference that you can make by just making a recommendation and sharing a resource. So please pass along what you find here. Don't keep it to yourself. It's so easy to do. Post it from Spotify into your stories. I would personally be grateful. And remember, there is more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful resources at your fingertips. Just go to www.sheyearns.com where you're going to find more reading plans, videos, articles, and other resources, more than there's ever been before, to help stir more desire for God into your everyday life. I'm Cherry Strange, and it is always a pleasure to meet you here.